0: One in four people will experience major depression in their life, one in four. That's a lot of people. And I think that when my parents got divorced when I was 16, that was when I kind of had my first experience with anxiety and depression. And it was getting worse when I was in college. But I didn't let a lot of people see what was going on. So it was a lot of like isolation, like I would just not talk to anybody about it. And I think that's what a lot of people do because they don't know what it is and even though I was studying psychology I didn't know what it was I didn't know how to fix it and I surely did not want other people to know about it but the job that I had I hung out with a lot of coworkers, and our main source of socialization was drinking every day I was drunk if you don't change something in your heart and in your mind and I didn't have God as my stabilizing force, then you fall back into the same patterns that you had before. I feel like a broken record. Like People make these mistakes over and over again until they hit some kind of bottom, right? So that's how, that's how this was for me. And one day I was coming to work and I was in the parking lot and my friend drove up and I told her that I was gonna kill myself. I was gonna go home and kill myself. Finally they admitted me to the inpatient psychiatric floor at Rochester General. And I was in this little room with nothing, wanting to die. I've never been that helpless in my life. And I just sat on the floor of this room and told God that I will do whatever you tell me to do for the rest of my life because I can't do this by myself anymore. God told me that I needed to go to church and I just felt that I need to find a church and stay in a church. So I came to Browncroft. I remember Pastor Rob Ab talking about getting involved and doing things. My mind said no, but I had told God, right, that I was going to do what he told me to do. The women's ministry is the group that meets on Mondays. A few of the ladies that have really been impactful to me are um, Pam Bukies, Lisa Kennedy, and Laquana Sparkman. Um, just very blessed to have all three of those ladies in my group. They've all been through so much in their lives, but their faith is so strong. I know that Browncroft, that God worked through Browncroft to save my life. I really do. I truly believe that. And um, I just want other people to be able to experience that. Having God in my heart and having a personal relationship with him doesn't mean that I don't go through darkness. It doesn't mean that I don't go through times when I'm depressed and anxious. The difference is that God is walking with me because I'm listening to him. And the difference is that I have the people here at Browncroft to help me. And my hope for people is that they don't have to live in the shadow like that when they have struggles like I did. And I think that if, as a church, we can embrace that, um, I think that would be really, really powerful for people who struggle.
1: The first time I uh, met Emily and talked to her, um, I found her a very positive person and very um, joyful. And it wasn't until just recently um, that I heard um, that story from her and um, from some other people and got to learn how she came uh, to this church and how she came uh, to, know, to know Christ. But I share that with you this morning, with her permission, because I can't think of a better more clear example of the Jesus Revolution, uh, what we've called the Jesus Revolution these last uh, few days. You know, there are are many people, much talk uh, and frustration that I hear both from Christian people and uh, non-Christian people about what they want from God and often are not receiving from God. But the essence of what we find in the scriptures, we'll see this this morning, see it in Emily's life, is only the power of love can change you, right? I mean, that's really the bottom line. And that is why Jesus came. He came to change your life like that, He came to change my life. But many people uh, in His day, and we'll see it in, in, in this passage, and in our day who hear messages like this one who see stories like that one um, still do not receive it in today's passage uh we'll see mark 14 if you open up the bible there there is a the story of a woman who uh, just a few days before jesus arrest and crucifixion this is the end almost of the gospel of mark where we have been this unnamed woman breaks into kind of a church service And she anoints his um, head with uh, this um, perfume. But in doing so, and it's not just my words, you'll hear Jesus in a second, she models for us a changed life. And I think if there's a a simple question I want to sort of ask and have you think about in this half an hour is, um, has God changed your life uh, in this way? So this is a message, Mark 14, if you have a copy of the Bible, turn it on, however you access it, the first 11 verses that I've titled, um, The Beauty of Jesus. Mark 14, 1 through 11, the Bible says this, Now the Passover and the festival of of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The first thing that I think I see in this passage uh, that I think was implied also in Emily's story is this. It's in a relationship with Jesus where your transformation takes place place, right? It's in a relationship, right? A true give and take um, pursued relationship where your transformation takes place. You know what's interesting about this passage, the Jesus revolution, I've called these last chapters of Mark. And in every revolution, I mean think about this, there's so many in our day, but whether it's something political or personal, business, industrial, you know, whatever kind of revolution. Very often, if not always, there's the insiders and the outsiders, right? That's partly what revolutions are about. And typically this is stereotyping, but the, in most revolutions, the outsiders are trying to unseat the insiders and very often, you know, those on the margins become those in power if it's a successful revolution. That's how they work often, right? Someone's gotten fed up enough with some kind of injustice or abuse, they throw together a rebellion, they throw a revolution, and the status quo is challenged. We've talked about that over, over many days. That's true here in this passage, interestingly enough right? There are the insiders and the outsiders. Well, who would be the insiders? And what we're talking about here is Jesus, Jesus's message, the gospel, the, 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 the kingdom of God, what we're doing here today. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And Jesus is the, is, the, is the revolutionary. He's the guy with the new idea. He's the one who's come preaching the kingdom of God. Now, the people who were the insiders, who are they? Well, verse 2 verse 1 i'm sorry the chief priests and the teachers of the law wouldn't you consider them insiders right what i mean by insiders is they are the people that most likely you would expect to get jesus right i mean when they get him they are the the, the leaders who the Old Testament was their Bible. They were, you know, they 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 were anticipating, right? This is what they did for a living. They were they, they did what I did for a living, in a sense, right? They were they were ministers, chief priests, teachers of the law, which means the Old Testament law. And they knew about Moses prophesying of the great one that comes. A prophet like unto me, Moses says will come. They knew of the prophecies of Isaiah, on and on and on. They were anyone was an insider who should have been the first adopter to say, Wow, I see what he's saying, I see what he's saying doing these hundreds of prophecies over 300 prophecies multiple prophecies this guy is the promised Messiah it should have been them but interestingly enough the insiders are on the outside they don't receive the message they're not excited they want to secretly kill Jesus and arrest him if that, that's you're supposed to sometimes we read the Bible so much we kind of get lost in its familiarity this should Raise a flag for us. Why do the insiders not get it? Now, we can look sometimes at the chief priests and the people in power. I've talked about this before. And say, well, I sort of understand their resistance. Because these guys, when Jesus does two chapters earlier, we looked at this. When he went in and basically said, I'm pulling the plug on the temple. The whole system of Judaism is basically going to be come to an end, which it did. When he cursed the fig tree, we talked about it. He basically came to replace the system in a way if you were smart and you were thinking, you'd say, wait a minute. If the temple's coming to an end and I'm a chief priest or I'm a teacher of the law, I'm gonna lose my um, position. I'm gonna lose my cachet. I'm gonna lose my identity in this culture. This is what I do. Right? And I'm going to probably lose my paycheck. So there's a sense in which we can kind of understand that the chief priests and the teachers of the law were against Jesus, although it still seems to be incredulous to me. Because if they were teachers of the law, and the centerpiece of the law was the promise of the Messiah, Jesus seems to have... I mean, someone said in another passage of Scripture, it says, listen, I think it was in John, I was reading it recently, it said, listen, one of, these, one of the people said, if, if, if this guy isn't the Messiah, if the Messiah comes, will he do more things than this person did? In other words, he seems to be fitting the bill. Why would you not accept him? But at least we could sort of say of the chief priests, they were, um, it threatened their way of life, right? But how about the last two verses? Right? These are two stories that are juxtaposed together. It's not one story. It's two stories. Chief priests, the story of the woman in Jesus in this man's home, and then Judas making a deal with the chief priest. The writer puts them together to make a point, which I'm getting to. Right? But how about Judas? Maybe the chief priests were, um, you know, felt threatened, but what about Judas? He was one of the 12 apostles. Now, again, before you dismiss Judas, and we often do this when we read the scriptures, we, we, have, to, we have to challenge our, our years of prejudice and familiarity. We, we, we all need to do this when we read the Bible. We, oh, Judas, I'm writing him off. He's the one that betrayed Jesus. He was the turncoat. He was, he was never sincere. He was Satan, entered Judas, and all this. But, you know, that's not the, what the Bible teaches. Satan enters Judas at the end of the movie at this Last Supper. Judas was one of the 12 apostles who followed Jesus faithfully and, um, and uh, consistently for three years. He heard the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, the Sermon on the Mount, on and on and on. Jesus, Judas was one of the 12 apostles. Okay, And in all that I read, and I read a lot this week, to say, why did Judas betray Jesus? You know, there is not a consensus, a scholarly consensus to that. Right, Rick? There's not a scholarly consensus. What it will say is he betrayed Jesus, and we know at the last minute that betrayal opened up, let's say, a door of skepticism, of doubt, of bitterness that Satan entered him. But let me tell you something. This is true in our lives too. Nobody makes a, 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 a major decision to go in the wrong direction overnight. People don't. Uh, you might, people don't end their marriages overnight. You might hear about it overnight. Wow, I'm so surprised to hear that. I ran into somebody just this week, who I've known for years. And and, and they were sitting here and I sat down and I and I was small talking with him and I said such and such about her husband. She said, No, we we we've been we, we separated about a year ago and it was so shocked me, right? But that didn't happen overnight. We don't we don't blow our moral integrity in our in our careers overnight. These things don't, and it didn't happen overnight for Judas either. So the question was, I was reading all this stuff this week, it said, what is the consensus, and you know there is not a consensus as to why Judas betrayed Jesus, but here's the best um, Uh, reason given, which I think is probably true. Many scholars say that Judas was, along with one of the other 12 disciples, Simon the Zealot, not Peter, but in the 12 disciples it says there's Peter, James, John, Andrew, etc., and Simon the Zealot. Well, some of us read over that and go, what does that mean? He was just kind of a zealous man? No, it's a political party. The Zealots were the freedom fighters in the first century. They were the people that were Jewish people but they were not willing to pay the Roman tax they were not willing to get along to go along and many of them left went up into the hills, they hid in the hills, many of them up near Galilee where Jesus found his disciples, and they said, our purpose is to resist Rome, to retaliate, and ultimately to foment a a rebellion against Rome. And many of those people were the early followers of Jesus, including one of the 12 disciples. And many scholars think that Judas also, like Simon, who he's mentioned next to in the listing of the 12 disciples, he was a zealot too. And the reason that Jesus betrayed Jesus, uh, Judas betrayed Jesus, was because after listening to him for three years, he hears in this very passage, verse eight, that this woman Jesus said has poured perfume on my body before to prepare for my burial. And Judas finally says, "You know, Jesus has three times said in Mark's gospel that he was going to go into Jerusalem and be arrested and be crucified. That's what he said." All three times, we looked at some of this in the study of Mark, it says about the disciples, they did not understand what he said and they did, were afraid to ask him. In other words, they didn't really know what that meant. That did not fit their vision of who Jesus was. Their vision, many of them, Certainly for Simon and probably your was listen, the whole, we love how Jesus stands up to authority. We love how Jesus calls things out as they are. We love how Jesus is willing to speak to power, and he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to not only overthrow the, the crusty, you know, uh, 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 Jewish leadership, but he's going to overthrow the Roman power. And then Jesus says here, listen, don't mock this woman, don't bother her. You got her wrong. She's preparing for my burial. And Jesus says, Buried. Judas is burial. This guy isn't gonna be the guy I thought he was. He's not gonna go through with rebellion against Rome. And Judas decides he's following the wrong horse and he takes his bet and he brings uh, to, the, to, to help arrest Jesus. That's what some people say. What this passage says uh, to me is this. There are two kinds of followers of Jesus, Right? And, there, and even when you get to verse 4 and following, the middle story, those present who, who, who criticize this woman, they're the disciples. In Matthew chapter 26, the very same story is told. Instead of saying, Some of those present said indignantly, Why are you wasting this money? It says, The disciples said, Why are you wasting this money? Okay? So what you see is two kinds of followers. This is where we need to pay attention. There's the kind of people who follow Jesus to see what they can get from him, where he is going. How can he enhance my life? How can he enhance my kids' life? I'm looking to Jesus to get something from him, and then there are those kind of followers who follow him because he changed their lives. Which kind are you? And that's what we really have in this passage. Think about the people. As I said, in most revolutions, the insiders become outsiders, the outsiders become insiders. Who are the people in this passage, craftily edited by Mark, who are the outsiders? If you're a Jewish Messiah, it's verse 3 and 4. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. What? I mean, many of you would perhaps know this, but if you don't, leprosy in Jesus' day was... uh, a very serious condition, so serious that people who were lepers were isolated. I don't even know what the equivalent would be in our society, honestly, right? We don't isolate people because they're physically have a contagious disease in the sense of for their whole life. I don't know what it would be, but it would be people who not only were physically isolated, they were were put in separate places. There's another passage in Luke's gospel where Jesus heals a leper, but here's how the passage goes. Jesus walked along and he saw these 10 lepers, And one of them yelled, Lord, have mercy from a distance. And it says those words because lepers could not be in the proximity of other people. They stayed to themselves on these campgrounds. And they were not allowed to go to the marketplace. Certainly not allowed to go to the temple, right? They were ostracized. They were prejudiced against. They were the margins of society that people wanted nothing to do with, but yet Jesus, while he was in Bethany, reclines at the table at the home of Simon the leper. That's this guy's nickname. Why did Mark put that there? It's making a point. The the people who should have got Jesus, the insiders are on the outs. And the people who should have had nothing to do with Jesus, the outsiders, they're the insiders. And Jesus isn't just having a conversation with this guy. Clearly, if this guy has a home, verse 3, he's he's Simon the leper no more. In other words, he's not living in a leper colony. He has a home. Likely the implication is Jesus healed him. But even more than that, as I said, it's in a relationship that transformation takes place. Simon only wasn't healed by Jesus, he'd, in a manner of speaking, Uh, speaking you know um had a a true committed relationship with jesus he loved him he had him over for dinner at his house he was pursuing a relationship with jesus and jesus had one with him and second to the star of this movie is this woman now we don't know a lot about her backstory but again if you're familiar with the new testament if you're familiar with the, the scriptures you know, women were right, whether, whether she was an immoral woman or she was a woman of great standing, she was right there with lepers. Women in the first century, even if you were good, upstanding, Jewish, fill in the blank, you were not allowed to vote, you probably didn't have a paying job, when even the temple, the beautiful temple, we talked about this two weeks ago, if there's a thing called the court of the women which was a little bit shy of the court of the men, which was just on one side of the court of the... In other words, women were not have equal rights by a long shot. So what is Mark doing here? He's making a very point. You can't miss it if you're thinking at all. What's the point? The people who should have got Jesus, not only the people who studied the Bible for a living, but even the disciples... In Judas's case, he said, I'm going to follow Jesus because I think he's going to lead somewhere that I want to go. I think he's going to help me accomplish something that I, I, I'm projecting my, my, my desires on Jesus. And he realizes in this moment, Jesus isn't the person I thought he was. I'm cashing in my disciple card. There's people who think they want to get something from Jesus and there's those who've had their life changed. Who are you who am I? Here's what I do know. I don't know a lot. Of, I don't know everything about the people in this passage. None of us do. But this is what I know. Simon is no longer living in a leprechaun. He has a home of his own. And this woman, although I don't and I know anything about her background, let me tell you something. What she does, verses uh, uh, th- 3 through 5, this is no small little show up to church on Sunday. This isn't working the soup kitchen. I'm not mocking that. Um, I'm I'm encouraging that. But what this woman does is a bold, um, no holes barred, uh, courageous act where she comes into this man's house uh, with the disciples and she does something that I'm confident because she was a woman understood she was going to be criticized. She was going to be as she was, not by the chief priests, not by the stone throwers, by the disciples. Some of those present were saying indignantly, this is a waste. What's she doing? Get rid of her, basically. She knew that. But she why did she do that? Let me tell you why she did it, I think. It wasn't because she was earning points with God. It wasn't because she was doing her duty. It's because she experienced a kind of love that transformed her life. There are those people who follow Jesus because of what they can get from him or some kind of duty, some kind of obligation. What's that, your story? And are those people who follow him because he's changed her, their life. Let me read this verse from, from Ephesians chapter one. I want you to think about your life. This is speaking of the gospel. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now, what language I just read this the other day and it came to mind as I was thinking about this passage. Paul says, I wanna wanna thank God for the spiritual blessings to this congregation in Ephesus. And he says, listen, here's how he describes the gospel message. In him we have redemption. Now, what is redemption? And we're gonna spend Easter Sunday talking about this very powerful concept. But let me tell you what redemption is. It's not just a fancy Bible word that means you're saved. It says a lot. Redemption means this. It means I pick up something that's in a trash heap. I pick up something that's broken, that's unused, that's collecting dust, that's rusted, that's ineffective, and I take it and I restore its wonder, and I reposition it, I repurpose it, I give it life, I do something with it that's amazing. That's what redemption is. Redemption is not simply forgiving our sins. Redemption is taking a broken life. It's what Emily's story is. It's my story. And bringing it through the wash of almighty God's love and bringing it into a whole new way of life. So Paul uses this language. Is this true of you? Some of this is theology, some is the amazing grace of God. In him we have redemption, a changed life. Through his blood, the cross, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, his favor, that he lavished upon us. This kind of love only comes through a committed personal relationship that must become the central pursuit of your life. That's what we're learning in this process. My question to you isn't, are you a Christian? My question isn't, are you saved? My question is, is Jesus Christ the central pursuit of your life? Jesus commends this woman. She's done a beautiful thing to me. Not because she showed up to church, but because she invested her whole life in our relationship with God. It's in relationship that, we trans, that our transformation takes place second, back to Mark. Its total commitment is the mark of the follower of Jesus, right? Just, this is the end of Jesus' life. The people who are ultimately, typically the audience of these lessons where we are are the disciples versus uh, uh, four and five. Let me tell you something about the disciples in this passage. They're on the outside of it. Their lives, not just Judas, they're unchanged in this passage. Do we know what they say to this woman? Uh, get rid of her. Jesus, uh, 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 we, uh, this was a waste of money and Jesus says, it's interesting too what you see the difference between four and five and, and, and six and following is the difference between the way they see what's going on and the way that Jesus does. It's a sobering reality. Jesus says, listen, why are you bothering her? Leave her alone. You don't really understand what's going on here, right? There's a number of things said in this, in this passage. It's a lot here, if you pay attention to it, one of them, just for sake of time, is money. Money is mentioned three times in this passage. Verse 3. This woman came with a very expensive uh, uh, perfume. Verse Five, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, verse 11. They were delighted, the, the teachers of the law, to hear this, Judas's, you know, uh, a handover, and promised to give him money. Now, why is money mentioned three times in this passage? It's not because God cares about money, but because money is, is one of the best representation of what we value, Right? And what you're seeing in here is a, is, is, a, is a contrast in values. It says the disciples, right? If you want to find yourself in this passage, if I want to find myself in this passage, it's not in the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm not going to put myself there. It's in the church service in verse 4. Some of those present, Matthew's version, almost word for word says, the disciples said indignantly. It's you and me. The disciples are indignant. Now, why would you be indignant? You know what indignant means? Indignant means you're angry, and it means you feel like something is unfair. That's what it means. I'm angry. You know, think of an injustice in our life or in your life or in society. Something is unfair. I'm angry. I'm indignant that this is going on. They were indignant, but they weren't indignant at, you know, uh, keeping people at the airport or, you know, some kind of personal... They're indignant because this woman apparently did this thing for Jesus and they thought it was a waste of money. Now, question is, is that really while they are expressing their anger and their, this is unfair? My guess is it's a cover. And what they're really indignant about is that this woman, the outsider, they're the insiders, aren't they disciples? I would call that disciples insiders. This woman comes uninvited into this church service and through her act of devotion a total commitment is the true is the mark of a true follower she basically indirectly it's not her purpose she calls every one of these men and women in this church service to question says where is your faith Jesus commends Jesus says two things about her right remember these are the words of Jesus first thing he says is this leave her alone quit bothering her She's done a beautiful thing. Now, when Jesus says something's beautiful, we ought to take notice. And then he says something else. I think it's in verse seven or eight. He says, listen, she did what she could, but really, the, it's a, the, the, the Greek that underlies this, it's sort of, they changed it so it makes it a little sense, more sensible. The literal translation of that verse is, she did what she had. That's a literal translation of that verse. And Jesus says, listen, what this woman did Although you see it as something wasteful, you see it as something, you're, indig- you're mad about it. I see it as a beautiful thing. Why do I see it as beautiful? Because this woman didn't just show up to church, not knocking it, didn't just throw some money in the bucket, not knocking it, didn't just, you know, put in her hour at the soup kitchen, not knocking it. She invested herself in this act. She did what she had. She gave everything that she had. And the only reason she did that, back to my first point, she wasn't trying to earn points with God. She wasn't trying to earn points with the priest. She did it because it was in direct response of the lavish love that had been poured out on her life. Jesus came for one reason to change your life. He does that by redeeming your life, by forgiving your sins, by washing you, overwhelming you with his love. And if that love touches your life, it's not a, it's not a single transaction, but truly gets into the, the, the recesses of your heart, in your mind, if it truly touches you like it did this woman we talked about in this video, let me tell you something, it will change your life. Right, Paul? It'll change your life. And my question is, has it changed your My question isn't how you go to heaven when you die. Has it changed your life? Has it changed my life? Only a relationship with Jesus is where your transformation takes place. But he has to become the central pursuit of your life. Why is money mentioned three times in this passage? Because you know what? Something other than Jesus was the central pursuit, certainly of the chief priests and the scribes, but even the disciples we're on the outside, right? Last point, only God knows the true significance of your life, right? That's what this is. That, why is this woman's story here? And what's so interesting about this? I mean, Jesus doesn't say this about anyone. There's nowhere else in the Bible that I know where Jesus says, um, calls something that someone did beautiful. I mean, what a great thing. I would love to have Jesus say about something I did, he did a beautiful thing. Right? That's what he says about this woman, but that's not all. all right? Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done also will be told in memory of her. Now, what, why say that? What an ama- And here's the here's the interesting thing about that. Jesus is saying this in some small little house in Bethany. It's, it's it's a sticks town today. Bethany certainly was then, but guess what? Here we are, 2,000 years later, the 26th of March, we're fulfilling this prophecy in a manner of speaking. We're talking about this woman, and as Jesus said we would, as we're sharing the words of the gospel. But here's what... Here's what um, question I have as I read this passage, if Jesus is so impressed by what she did, so moved by her actions, he's trying to teach us something, to disciple something, shut up, you don't get it, quit bothering her, wake up, you don't even understand beauty, you're missing it. You're spending all this time with me, but I haven't changed your life kind of message. And he says, I'm so impressed, I wanna make such a, a, a point about what she did that I'm right here, right now, using my power, which we're seeing is true, to say for, the, for all of eternity as the gospel is preached, what this woman did will be talked about. Why didn't he mention her name, right? Whoops. I mean, any PR guy would tell you if you really want to memorialize somebody, it doesn't say, you know, the, the blank, blank Children's Center, right? It's the Tom Galasano Children's Center or whatever the case may be, right? I mean, why would you go through all of that work And be so impressed by her and say, well, what she has done will also be in memory of her. Why does Jesus do that? My guess is because by leaving her unnamed, he's basically saying, this is you, or it could be you, right? Only God knows the true significance of your life. This woman did what she had, and it could be true of you, and it could be true of me, and it could be true of anybody, right? She didn't get on an airplane. She she was so unspectacular that they didn't even mention who she was. But Jesus said, "Listen, what she did will be remembered for all of eternity, um, because she was someone. She's the only person in this passage. If we take Jesus' words at hand, she's preparing for my burial." who truly understood what Jesus was all about. Three times in the gospel, the disciples say, when Jesus says, I'm gonna die, it glosses right over, it washes over them. They don't get it. Jesus says, this woman got it. She was the only person that truly understood me and she aligned her life with the reality. This is what she understood. Jesus is going to pour out his life for me. That's what this is, that's where he's headed. He's not headed to knock over the, throne of Caesar. He's gonna pour out his life for me. And she said, that has so overwhelmed me, that has so impressed me, that I'm gonna pour out my life for him. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Right? So where's the application for us? Let me say this. I can't live, you and I can't go find Jesus somewhere and say, you know, I'm going to, I'm gonna find whatever I have of most value. In this case, this woman had this perfume that was worth 50 grand, 100 grand, whatever a year's wages is. That was what she had. And she said, I'm gonna, inve- I'm gonna give everything that I have. That's why Jesus was impressed. Well, you know what? I can't do that. I can't go and find Jesus and break in on the Jesus meeting and give him my best, in a manner of speaking, like this. But this is what Jesus says in Matthew 25. You've heard this great passage. The, you know, the, the, the naked, the the sick, the infirm, though, you know, he says, Jesus says, when you do it to one of the least of these, right? When you give yourself to one of the least of these, you do it to me, right? That's what Jesus is saying. And any one of us can do that starting today. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how super spiritual you have. It's not about, you know, the, the mission field necessarily. It's about whether or not you're going to take what you have, she did what she had, and put it in the service of Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, listen, her name's not important. Fill in, Put in your name. You know what I most was impressed, or one of the things that most impressed me about Emily's story which I just heard, you know, the full story very recently. She said these words, Browncroft Community Church saved my life. Wow, that's unbelievable, if you listen to that video again. But if you listen to it, what it, she didn't say the pews saved her life. She didn't say this room saved her life. She didn't say this pastor saved her life. She said there are three people, now, before this video, you, you would, those people like this woman would be anonymous. She happened to mention her name, but she said, so-and-so, Laquana Sparkman, Lisa Kennedy, Pam Bukis. She put names to them. She said, these women who've been through a lot, they've decided to invest in my life, and these three women saved my life. When you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. What about you? What about me? I'm glad you're in church today. I'm a churchman. I'm glad you threw something on the plate. I'm a churchman. I really am. But if we really want to impact the world around us that is increasingly saying no thank you to the things of faith, increasingly uh, unconnected to the love of God, know nothing about the gospel, they're only going to be impacted not by a, some creative video, not by a sermon, not by, uh, you know, anything other than a life lived before them that gives everything they have. That's what will impress people. That's what people will wake people up and say, listen, I want what he's got. I want what she's got, right? It's in a relationship where you're true transformation takes place. I've been a Christian for 30 some years. I get up every day like many of you and, 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 and open God's word and spend time in prayer and, and, and say, God, I'm unfinished and pour, lavish your love on me today in some new way, right? Is your relationship with God the central pursuit of your life? If it is, if it is for me, that's the mark of a true follower. And, and, and the only person that needs to keep score is God himself. Hit the significance of your life, um, only God knows it, but even in something as small as these three women did, they changed a person's life. You can do that, I can do that. Last, the back of the bullet, and the question to walk away with, right? In what ways are you demonstrating your love to God today. You don't have to go very far. You don't have to think very long, right? I know a guy, um, I haven't seen him in years because he lives in Dallas, and I'd heard through a friend, mutual friend, that one of his sons um, OD'd on heroin last week. Now, I haven't seen this guy in... 12 or 14, 15 years. We weren't close, but we knew each other. But I said, you know, give me a cell phone. I'm gonna give him a call. And I called him, left him a message, and he sent me back a note today that was powerful, right? Right? When you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. Uh, Let me me also say, um, before I send you out, you know, that was a powerful story, Emily's story. And I don't know where anybody is in this room today. But if you're someone who'd say, you know, um, I have a uh, hurt. I have a hang-up. I have a bad habit or, or chronic habit, addictive habit. She mentioned alcohol in that video. Um, and I need some help. But you know what? The, the, the most important thing about the help that she got if you watched if you remember what she said was this i i was isolated and i needed to come out of the shadows right the most important decision that any one of us can make no matter how acute or mundane or every day your struggle or my struggle is is that you don't keep it to yourself we are only this is a, this is a cliche but it's true we're only as sick as our secrets right In the beginning of your trans, it's in a relationship where your transformation takes place.